Hi, this is Wendy Lockhart, your host on the Not So Perfect Journey, where we dive into all topics relating to mind, body, and spirit on the journey to becoming our authentic selves. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Um, so glad you're here. Before we get started on today's topic, I want to say a bit about where the ideas for this journey to your authentic self come from. I've mentioned before that my stepfather, Michael Nagel, was an authenticity counselor. He and I had many, many conversations over three plus decades about this topic. He was an avid reader, as I am, and a few years before his death, he published 300 Inspirational Quotes on How to Be Yourself, A Guide to Living an Authentic Life. Many of the quotes I use come from this book, and I use his take on what an authentic journey looks like, but add my own perspective about what it feels like, especially from a particularly female viewpoint. I just turned 56 this month, and while I still have a lot of life to live, I feel I've lived enough to have some wisdom on this topic that may be helpful to you wonderful people listening out there. I also want to say to you that this journey is not a straight line. Unlike the concept of achieving nirvana in Buddhism, the end-all be-all, Becoming your authentic self will continue to evolve as long as you are alive here on earth, and maybe after that. There are culture shifts, outside factors that may affect your journey. I see authenticity more as an onion with many layers, and the steps of the journey continue and cycle, recycle, and spiral as each layer is revealed. In that manner, you may complete these steps many times over many years, but in different ways. I've had moments where I felt I understood everything about myself and the universe, only to feel a day later that I had regressed. It's okay. Don't beat yourself up and think you failed, because as long as you put one foot in front of the other and move forward most of the time, you are a success. Okay, today's topic for me is one of the more difficult steps not only to grasp, but to complete. So I hope I do a good job on this. And this is the question of morality. And right off the bat, let's throw off what's called the tyranny of dualism, that there is no right or wrong, good or evil. Morality over time continues to grow and change. What may be considered bad in one decade could be good in another. The hardest part of the question of morality is throwing off the rules that culture puts on us because those are changeable and fleeting. The goal is to listen deeply to your own moral compass and decide what your own rules are. Where personal autonomy was about trusting your gut, making your own decisions, I see the question of morality is how do you express that out in the rest of the world? Are you accountable to yourself or to others? It's okay to have a bit of both, but who are you when you're with a group? Do you follow the group blindly or are you willing to take a stand for what you believe in that may separate you from the group? So here's a funny example of how our beliefs can be shaped by others and change over time. When I was a girl, my mom always told me that the most nutritious part of the loaf of bread was the crust. 
I didn't like the crust and probably wasted a lot of bread by not eating it, which I'm sure frustrated her. She said it was like an apple, which you get more nutrition out of by eating the peel. For years, I believed this. It wasn't until I was in my late 20s, maybe even my early 30s, that it dawned on me. The crust had just been baked a little more, but it was the same material as the rest of the loaf, and therefore how could it have more nutrients and fiber? Her intention was noble, wasting less bread, but basically a lie. How many lies have you been told by others that they believed were for your own good, but were still lies nonetheless? How many things are we told when we are young that we blindly believe and never question for ourselves when we're older? T.S. Eliot wrote, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. I love this quote because to me it means that at the end of all our lifelong exploration, after we have been shaped and molded, molded by others in our youth, eventually we come back to the person we were supposed to be before others influence changed us, making us question and betray our own beliefs. I think back to myself as a young girl, how strong and brave she was before the rest of the world told her it was wrong to act that way. Fortunately, that's something that's changing these days. I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but when I was eight years old, my dad took me hiking with him and we climbed, climbed Mount Whitney together. Yes, Mount Whitney, the tallest mountain in the continental United States, 14,000 plus something feet. It took us three days, two days up and one day down. Still remains one of the most thrilling adventures of my life. I loved doing stuff like that with my dad. But one day when I was about 13, I got told I had to stay home and quote, be a lady, which I thought was total bullshit, but I had no control over. And so he ended up taking my brother who was younger hiking everywhere with him instead. It took me years and a lot of therapy to get over that and back to being who I am. It didn't help that my mom, when I was in high school, told me I should wear more makeup. We are constrained by the moral rules of culture that we're supposed to act a certain way, be a certain way, even when that goes against how we feel about ourselves. Questioning that morality and deciding for yourself how to act and be in the world is the goal of this step. In the last 40 years, I feel we've made so many giant leaps as a society, embracing the ideas that we are all unique individuals and should be free to express who we are. There are those who are threatened by this for whatever reason and want to strip away and make illegal again many of those freedoms. And we cannot allow it. Just think, only a few decades ago, it was illegal to be gay. You could be jailed for being gay. As if one could just decide to not be gay. And now some states are trying to control how you dress, that you have to dress in a manner that society says fits your biological gender, which can also be fluid and not something you can control. You have to decide what your boundaries are and what you will and won't do and hold these boundaries firm, even if it clashes with the current moral ideas of our society. You must decide for yourself what your standards are. This requires self-reflection and deep contemplation about who you are and who you want to be, which we covered in Personal Autonomy. Do you stand up for what you believe is right, or do you go along with the crowd, not wanting to stand out? 
Step five of the journey demands that you speak your truth and make yourself heard, even when it is unpopular to do so. It's not an easy thing to do and requires a level of bravery, the same bravery that set you on this journey to begin with. And again, it's too simplistic to think of actions and thoughts as just merely good or bad. Non-dualism teaches us that things just are. The bigger question is what is the source of your thoughts and actions? Are they coming from a place of authenticity within you? Or are you doing something because you believe it is what the rest of society wants you to do? Rumi, the 13th century Sufi poet, wrote, Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. You have to abandon this idea of dualism, except that there is a lot of gray area in life. In order to have people respect your truth, you in turn have to respect that they may have a different moral ideas than you. I feel like we've lost a lot of acceptance in this country that we've become too ingrained and entrenched in our beliefs and not able to hear those of others. Many religions preach that there is a higher authority that should govern your thoughts and actions. I've never really been a fan of organized religion, as my interactions with it have led to cynicism about the purpose of it. Specifically for me, it was the Catholic Church. Back in the 90s, I became a Catholic convert, mainly because of who I was married to, but I did enjoy our local church. Although my favorite thing about going to church was the incense, which maybe should have been a clue I was in the wrong place. Anyway, one of the highlights for me was cooking for a group of people who were, they were homeless, but they were part of a rehab program. They were so grateful at having a warm home-cooked meal, and I felt good being part of a group that provided it. But the Diocese of Monterey decided that our church wasn't fancy enough, and the solution was we had to raise a million dollars to build a new, bigger, fancier church. At my core, this seemed totally wrong. I thought about all the good that that much money could do in our our community for the homeless people and those struggling. The final straw for me with the Catholic Church was after getting divorced and having a priest give a sermon that condemned us divorced people to a not so happy place. The church was telling me that not raising money and getting divorced was amoral. And my internal compass decided to give them a screw you as that did not jive with my personal morality. And also because making sure people have enough food to eat is one of my personal deeply held values. I always contribute regularly to the local food bank wherever I'm living but I'm digressing. Hafiz, another Sufi poet from the 14th century wrote, now is the time for the world to know that every thought and action is sacred. This is a time for you to deeply compute the impossibility that there is anything but grace. Now is the season to know that everything you do is sacred. We are all fundamentally at our core divine and sacred. Does the idea of right and wrong come down to, instead of the action or thought itself, which can be misinterpreted, but to the actual intention of the thought or action? I'm going to advocate for yes. It's important for others not to just see what you're doing, but what is your intention behind it? A few years ago, I became a trainer in something called the outward mindset. To me, it's a kind of like a Buddhist compassion practice put into a business setting. 
When we're approaching other people with an inward mindset, we're only thinking about how they can benefit us. But when you approach life with an outward mindset, other people matter to you like you matter to yourself. The big aha in this training for me was the concept of soft and hard behaviors that could be inward or outward. I discovered that I was guilty of using soft inward behaviors um, because I wanted to be liked (laughs) or because I thought I was doing the right thing for someone with ever having checked whether it was actually helpful for them or not. The more compassionate approach is to be honest with people, even if you have to tell them something difficult. The goal is to speak your truth and with the intention to be compassionate and help someone. When you use other people and justify those actions with inward thinking, such as I deserve or I'm better than, that's where you cross the line into cruel or mean behavior. Knowing our own moral compass and accepting that others have their own and can be different from us is key. And this becomes the essence of how we take the deep knowing cultivated during personal autonomy and be that person out in the world with others. Is it a simplistic approach? Perhaps. But as we continue this journey, it gets more complex. So at this stage, do as Robert Frost, the poet, suggested, and take the road less traveled. It's the path that gets you closer to your authentic self. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, follow, share, all that stuff. Until next time, my friends, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to not let the perfect be the enemy of the good on your not-so-perfect journey.